It is so great to be with you, and there's a couple things that I want to say before we dig into the text. One, I know as a Christian I shouldn't be jealous of people, but I am jealous of Jacob, and there's a couple reasons. Um, one is he has a beautiful head of hair, and uh, I'm very jealous of that. And the second um, reason I'm uh, jealous of Jacob is that he... He's bilingual, and he can communicate perfectly to any of you in this room. And um, uh, it is uh, it is a second thing is that I love this church. You don't. You, a lot of you don't know me. Um, I was on the advisory board originally, as you planted, and Jacob and I went through training. And so I feel like I've just I've been in every part of the process of this church, from it being an idea, um, a dream and seeing God move and work all through these years to see what is um, Siglite Mosaic. And it is, a, it is one of the churches in, in our network, um, the SIN network that has been planted in the last four years that I am I'm so proud to talk about, to tell the story of what God has done. And uh, it's just a real privilege to be with you today. And uh, um, I, I love, it's, it's amazing what God is doing. So. If you have a Bible, if you'd open it to Philippians uh, 4, that's where we'll be this morning, continuing in your series. And um, the, uh, I forgot one other thing before I dig into it that um, is really fun about being in friendship with Jacob right now in his life. So me and my wife, so I'm married, um, Deb and I have been married for uh, 21 years. We have five children, and I love watching Jacob and Abigail um, and hearing stories of how, how they're sleep training Brooks right now um, and all the trouble that he's causing them. And it just, it makes me laugh at young parents and the struggles that they have created for themselves. And so, uh, uh, I love you, buddy. So, uh, <clears throat> so um, as, we, as we dig into, so we're in Philippians 4, um, we're going to be in 10 through 13 this morning, I love the book of Philippians, and um, as you have been going through this book, you know that it's written um, by God through the pen of the Apostle Paul, and as, as God is ex- expressing eternal truths to us in this text, one of the key texts, which has been the theme of this series, is our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason we gather here this morning, the reason we are a part of this great movement of God is we have a Savior who came, he bled, he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, he is seated on high, he has a reigning and ruling kingdom in which his reign and rule has come into our hearts and our lives and that reign and rule is bringing his peace and his joy and his compassion and his kindness and his mercy as we live our lives day to day in a world that is deeply troubled. And so our world, right, the the sermon's titled Faith in a World of Uncertainty. We live in a world that is uncertain. And if you feel like everything is being held together right now in this world, I'm going to tell you sin entered into this world. Everything isn't being held together in this world. This world is, it is broken at its fabric because when sin came, not only did sin come into the hearts and lives of men and women, sin also... It, it broke the fabrics. It says in Genesis 3 that thorns and thistles entered in. It, this world is incredibly broken. And so I have some incredibly bad news for you this morning if you haven't realized this lately. But hard things are going to be coming your way. 
people that you deeply love could have tragedy today or tomorrow. None of us, what, 100 out of 100 people die. There, there, there's no escaping hardship, pain, and suffering. I've said that about my wife. I said, why do we have so many kids, right? Because there's, there's so much opportunity for heartache and pain, the more love and the more people that we love our kids, whatever. But, the, the, but it's the reality that this world, there is an uncertainty in this world. But this is the beauty of, of the book of Philippians, as Paul is saying, see, there is uncertainty in this world, but there is certainty in Jesus Christ, a text before we read this this morning that, that I, I think sums up not only that, that we have a citizenship in heaven, it's Philippians 127, it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I believe that in, in a world of uncertainty, the greatest goal that we can have in the day-to-day of our life is that maybe today I could live my life in such a way that my life would be lived in a manner worthy of my Lord Jesus Christ. Living my life because simply I love him and I want to bring him glory in the day to day. So let's read the passage this morning. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in every situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you you meet with us? Would you speak to us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you shape our hearts toward yours? Would you take those things that in our lives this morning that are exposed by your word and make them obedient to you? Lord, change us. And so, Lord, would you give us repentance where where it's needed today in our lives and give us faith where it's needed to move forward with you? So, Lord, we give ourselves to you and we pray that you would use this passage to deeply transform our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And so as we look at this passage this morning, um, I'm going to have you do a little self-assessment, okay? I don't know if you came wanting to do a self-assessment. I'm going to have you do a self-assessment of your life to see where you're at so that when we look at this text, it might help guide you and lead you into application. So I'm going to say a phrase, um, I am blank. So, so this is a scale of one to five, just kind of do it in your head. On a scale of one to five, um, so one being not true, five being completely true, um, kind of think about this. So um, I, am, I am grateful in Christ today, living in the reality of his rule and reign over me and his care for me. I'm grateful. Right? And so on a scale of one to five, where would you say your life is in gratitude toward Christ? All right? Got it? Got your number? There's not, there's not a pass or fail in this, just self-assessment. So second, I am content in Christ today, living in the rule and reign, in the reality of his rule and reign over me. I am content with where I am today. 
scale of one to five, completely true or not true at all. Third, I am adaptable in Christ today. That whatever comes my way, I am confident in him. The fourth, I am dependent on Christ today. Recognizing my need for him every moment of every day. Grateful, content, adaptable, independent. I'll be honest with you, if I do my self-assessment, it might change on the daily. My gratitude, my adaptability, my contentment, and my dependence. But today, let's look at this text and see how it talks about these things. So the first thing that we see in the passage is that there is an appreciation in Christ. An appreciation in Christ. And so it says... In the, in the passage again, um, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. So this was their second gift from Paul, they had, to Paul. And so Paul had um, gone out on his journey. They'd given him a gift and it had been a long time. Um, between when they had given him another gift, and we're assuming this is financial, and so they're giving him another financial gift, and they sent a brother, Epaphroditus, with them. And so he's saying that you, you showed your concern for me. I'm revived of your concern for me because I wasn't sure that you cared, right, because I hadn't heard from you. Have you ever had anybody in your life that you, they'd kind of like left, like, like you, you had this relationship with them, it was close and it was personal. Distance came. And you're like, I wonder if they actually still care for me. And then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, something showed up in their life. And this was a gift toward the work of the gospel ministry that Paul was engaged in. A gift financially came. A gift in a servant came. And it showed their concern for Right, his, their concern for Paul and the work. And this word concern, it's an idea of a compassionate act, that this was something uh, sacrificial, it was something compassionate. And so he said, so he not only says in the text, he says, you, you revived your concern for me. And he says, you were indeed, and so he kind of doubles it. And he says, you were indeed concerned for me. Um, expressing that, that, that you, you, you definitely cared. You had excessive compassion toward me and my life. So he, he doubles down on understanding their love of him. That they showed up right, when no one asked. He said, but you had no opportunity. And so he kind of gives them a little freedom. He goes, maybe you just weren't able to do this for me um, in the past. I don't know if you've had people in your life that have just shown you excessive concern. I remember for me, um, I have three older brothers, and um, I grew up very, very close to my grandmother. We lived a mile apart, um, and I spent uh, most of my childhood with my grandmother, and in later years, she got pretty sick. I was, and so from the age of 16, 17, I lived with her most, most of the week, um, and we took care of her. And when I was 18 years old, my grandmother, she passed away and my brothers knew of this very close relationship with my grandmother and so the night that she passed away I went to bed and uh, 
after I'd laid down, my brother Steve walks in the room. He sits down on the edge of my bed, and I'm a young 18-year-old boy, and he says, hey, Ryan, how are, how are you doing? Are, are you okay? I know this is really, this is really hard for you. I know that we all have a special relationship. But there's something really special between you and her. And um, so then we talked for a minute, probably cried. And then he left. And about 10 minutes later, my brother Craig comes and sits on my bed. And he says, hey, how are you doing? I know that, and he goes through the same thing. And then just after he leaves, my brother Mark walks in. All my brothers, it was a compassionate act because they just had deep concern for me and how they didn't bring a financial gift. They didn't do what we talked in this text, but there was, there was this deep concern. I didn't ask them to come in my room. I didn't ask them to care for me, but they cared. And I think this is the point of Paul in this passage. And I think this is a point of Christian familial living. It, it's sort of not asking each other for help. It's that I see someone in need and I show concern for them and I show up. And it might be showing up, if, if it was my wife, she would show up with a, a lot of food, right? When she brings you a meal, she brings you like five meals. She, she shows up and she shows concern, right? When, when we, we just show up for one another and sometimes just talk and say, how are you doing? And so in, in this text, he's speaking of this financial thing that they have done, but, but really this is bigger. It was not just a concern for the gospel work, but just a concern for him personally. And what he's saying is, like, thank you for caring about me. Like our love for one another being familially compelled, right? And so I think another text of scripture says this, our love for Christ compels us, right? And so 2 Corinthians 5 says, for the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, and the key of this is themselves. But for him who died and was raised. Living in, in appreciation for Christ leads to selflessness. And I believe that leads to showing concern for one another. The reason that we don't show up, the reason that we don't show concern is because we are too consumed with ourselves to care for anyone else. And I wish I could just preach that to you as though that's not being preached toward me. But that's true of our human condition. That's why these texts are in here. Right? The love of Christ compels us that we may no longer live for ourselves but for him. And the way that they were living for him, the way Paul commends them for living for him is saying, you showed appreciation to me. You showed concern to me through this compassionate act of like recognizing that I exist, recognizing I need help, recognizing your love and concern for me. So the first thing that we see is that there's an appreciation in Christ that we give toward one another by showing concern. 
Second thing in the text is, is Paul expresses contentment in Christ. So contentment in Christ, the text continues, not that I am speaking of being in need, um, which is uh, you know, kind of like very true of Paul. And uh, what he's saying is like, you, you gave this gift, you, gave, you showed your concern for me. He didn't tell how much money they gave. You know, he didn't say, thanks so much for giving that million-dollar check to me. We will be able to do ministry throughout Rome forever. Like, he didn't talk about the money. He didn't, we, don't, we don't know expressively, like, what they gave him. But he says, now that I'm speaking of being need, it wasn't about even what they gave him. It was that they showed concern, that they loved him. And he said, that's the most valuable thing that you can give. It's not, not all the money in the world, not all the food. Not all, like, what was valuable is that you, this compassionate act of saying that, that, that we, we love you and we're concerned for you. So he says, now that I'm speaking of being need, for I have learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. <clears throat> when, uh, when my wife and I, um, we, we went to, to college here in Nebraska, we met, we got married, um, God began to call me into ministry, and so as I was being called into ministry, um, we began to pray about where we should go, and through a lot of divine yeah, divine actions, we ended up living in Memphis, Tennessee, which we're both from the Midwest. I'm from Iowa. She's from Nebraska. And so we moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and we had so much money. Um, we had $2,000 in the bank, and uh, we thought we were very rich. And we got an apartment, and about a month and a half later, we had $150. And we kept looking for jobs and the, the money was going out faster than we could. That we, I, remember, I remember kneeling down in our little apartment and both of us in tears just saying, God, did we, did we move here by mistake? Like, we don't know what to do, but we trust you. Like, would you help us? And we were, we were to the place where, like, groceries were, um, yeah, like, we, we, we were splitting bags of ramen noodles. That's a true story. We actually got in a fight about that. And, uh, and, um, and the next morning we woke up and there was three bags of groceries on our doorstep. And, um, you know, two weeks later, I got a job that was my first job at a church. And they began to take care of us in really incredible and extravagant ways. And then a couple months later, we, were, we just had enough money to make it. And we were, we were confident that we couldn't come home for Christmas because we didn't have enough money. And a deacon in the church walked up to us and gave us $300 and said, I don't know why, but God like, just told me to give you this money. And back then, that was enough money to pay for gas. Um, probably not anymore. And, um, and God took care of us. And so when I, when, I list, when I see this text, I just think about my life. I think about our years of marriage. Um, and, and I identify with it. There's times where, I had, where I've had nothing. Um, there's times where we've had more than we deserve. Um, there's times where I got a phone call from my tax preparer and he said, oh, I've done your taxes wrong for the last three years and you owe $17,000. And I thought I was doing well and now I'm not doing very well. Um, we didn't go to jail. It was his fault and I had to pay for it. And um, Thank you, CPAs of the world. There's one in the room. And so, um, so, so what, what is he saying here? Paul, 
Paul is, Paul is saying, right, what it plainly says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And the, the, the content comes from that if, if, God, if Jesus can provide me salvation, the thing I need most, he will provide me everything else. It's the core teaching of Jesus. He says, look at the birds of the air, look at the flowers of the field. God completely tends and cares for them. Let them teach you. This is the, the, the Matthew 6 is teaching. Let them teach you that how much more will God take care of you. Now, for some of you, for some of us, this is a really hard truth. Because some of you are very controlled. Raise your hand if your wife is controlling or your husband is. Just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, uh, being content is very challenging. But Paul is molding two things together. He's molding together the gratitude for their compassionate act through genuine concern. But he's also saying, I have learned that to have self-sufficiency in Christ. That, that he is my provider. He is the one who takes care of me. And whether you give me money or don't give me money, he is the one in whom I trust. My contentment is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Are you there in your life where Jesus is sufficient? That contentment can be found in him, whether we have much, whether we have little, that we are content in him and confident in him. So the second thing we see in the passage is to be content in Christ, have contentment in Christ. The third, and now we're in verse 12. Verse 12 says, I, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In and any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing, placing, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and in need. Now, in this, he's putting kind of like two things. He's talking about physical, like my, my physical need, my situational need, and he's talking about just literally hunger. Um, so in, in the secret of placing fun and abundance in need, um, there, there's a recipe, like and this is our adaptability in Christ. And so one is that I'm content, right, in any situation, but he takes it even a step further and saying, whatever situation I find myself in in life, I know that I can be adaptable to that. And I believe in this, Paul is speaking of the whole of life, like you need to be adaptable this year. But in the scope of your life, in the scope of your, your, your 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years of life, that, that I am adaptable in the different seasons of my life to follow him. Whether I'm brought low, right, I know how to abound. And in, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. Now I'm going to put some things together through Paul's other teachings that I think is the recipe for this. I think the recipe for this, this adaptability is first centering your life on the word of God. Letting the, the truth of God's word drive you in every situation. So like the question is what is true, what is real? Whatever God says in his word is true. Whatever the world says is not true. Anything that contradicts his word is not truth. 
And so the word, centering our life on the word, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God equals a surrendered worshiper and an adaptable life. In our lives, when we are not filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, when we are not walking in the power of the Spirit, when we're walking in the power of the flesh, we will live in anger and wrath, and we will live in um, jealousy and envy and quarrelsome, and we will, we will be stressed, and we won't be content, and we won't be adaptable. But when we, when we center our life on the Word, when we walk by the power of the Spirit, we will live in His peace, we will live in His power, and His presence will lead us and guide us. Years ago, I, I took a, uh, I was an executive director of a, an organization that was rescuing girls out of human trafficking in Thailand. And I went over and it was a very long and hard trip of kind of doing some things to help our organization thrive and do the things we wanted it to do. So I came home and uh, it was an international flight. I came home and there's a rule when you fly on an international flight and that is um, you, to deal with jet lag. Um, and dealing with jet lag, you, you don't go to sleep until, like, it's actually your time to sleep. And so if you're tired at 2 in the afternoon, stay awake as long as you can until the evening so you can get back into your normal sleep cycle. So I was at the office, and uh, it was 1 o'clock, and I was trying to stay awake, and I just thought, forget it. I'm too tired. And I went home, and I went into my bed, and I fell asleep. And I had a dream. And I'm not saying this is like a Joseph dream or anything, but I had a dream. And I had a dream that I was, and I was probably just really tired, like this is my dream. But my dream was the most amazing dream I've ever had in my whole life. It was so amazing that, I mean, I get teared up even thinking about it right now. I, I didn't want to wake up. Um, actually, when I started to wake up, I, I closed my eyes hoping I could go back to sleep. And it was a dream that I was completely filled with the Holy Spirit of God as I walked and lived my life. There was someone yelling at me and mad, and I dealt with them with kindness. And it just bounced off. <laughs> and there was problems that were happening, and I was calm, I was cool, I was praying, I was listening to God, I was doing his will, I was living it out, and I... I was, it was like this text was real in my life. I was content, I was adaptable. His love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness was flowing out of my life. And when I woke up, I woke back up into the reality of my worries and my stresses and you shouldn't have slept, you're gonna mess up and all these things. And I believe that the word of God, the spirit of God, when, when we when we center our life on him, that, that dream I had, I believe is an actual reality that we can live in. And it's a reality that I'm walking in his presence and his peace in such a way that his love and his joy and his compassion and his kindness, there is an overflow out of my life flooding into those around me. The dream was really Ryan Johnston was over himself and he was just filled with the presence of God. Adaptability in Christ. Things ultimately, what it's saying is things ultimately do not matter. But he's saying relationships matter. Paul's attitude contrasted um, all of this world's teachings. Right? And 
this world were preoccupied with food and earthly matters. But he was saying that we can rise above any set of circumstances and walk and live for Jesus and his peace. So the last thing that we see in the text is dependency in Christ. This is a a verse that you might be familiar with. Um, It's popular with Christian sports teams and other things like that. Um, We put it on t-shirts and um, which is not bad, but um, let's look at it in context. It says, I can do all things. And maybe if you would insert a phrase there, I can do all things for Christ through him, through Christ who strengthens me. Um, Paul is speaking about the kingdom of God, speaking about living for Jesus, about loving him and living our lives for him. I can do all things for Christ through Christ who strengthens me. See, Jesus is the capable one of making all of this a reality. And so if you're hearing this sermon and thinking, I need to be more appreciative. I need to be more content. I need to be more adaptable. I need to be more dependent. You're hearing it wrong. What it is, is that what we should hear is like, Jesus, I want to appreciate you more and display that to others better. Jesus, I want to be more content in you that I might show your contentment in those around me and how they can place their confidence in you. Lord, I want to be adaptable for you and for your glory because I love you. Lord, I want to be dependent on you because I believe you are dependable in life. See, this isn't a list of four things that Christians should do. This is a list of things that are the overflow of a Christian that walks in gratitude toward a Savior who bled and died on the cross. And just to remind you this morning that our Savior Jesus, he did come. And he lived a perfect and sinless life. He was arrested in the garden. And in that arrest... His beatings would have began and they would have continued till he was crucified on the cross. And the reason his beatings began was that he was going to bear the punishment of your sin and my sin. That the flesh was ripped from the back of his head to the bottom of his heels because of our rebellion, because of our stains. Because of our disregard to God. His hands were nailed to the cross. His feet were nailed to the cross. And he hung in agony and pain. Hour upon hour. Bearing the weight of our shame. And our guilt that was upon him. And there on that cross, he died. And maybe the most horrific thing of the cross of all is the father turned his face from him. The the problem of hell will not be the pain, it will be the lack of the presence of God. Jesus was buried in a tomb. And three days later, Jesus resurrected from the dead. He got up and he walked out of the tomb 
He appeared to the disciples over 11 occurrences that we can see. He taught them about the kingdom of God and the reign of rule in God, the peace, the joy, the love, the compassion, the kindness that is now ours in the kingdom as his citizens. And so the reign and rule of God now coming in our hearts. He taught for 40 days. He gave them a commission to go and make disciples. All these things that I have done and taught you, now you go do them. But wait a minute, go into an upper room and wait. And so Jesus ascended to on high. He fell down upon them and the movement of God began. Jesus, the head of the church, established his church. Jesus is alive. He is not dead. He is resurrected on high and he is working in my life. He is working in your life. He's working with the Mosaic Church. He's working like na regionally, nationally, and globally in this great thing called his mission. And so in this great rule and reign of our Savior, we live with gratitude. We live content in him. We live adaptable to his bidding. We live dependent on him. So again, don't, do not be grateful, content, adaptable, dependent, because you should be to be a good Christian. Be so because you simply love Jesus and trust him. Because in Christ, you can be in light of all of the uncertainties of this world. And if you've heard one thing, I would say, in Christ, we can be certain. In this world, we cannot. So I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer to contemplate these truths. And to make some decisions about what our life might look like today and tomorrow in light of this passage. So if you'll bow, I'll lead us in this time. Just encourage you um, as we begin to pray to, to think about that question I asked at the beginning. On a scale of one to five, where are you? Gratitude, contentment, adaptability, dependency. So the first thing to pray, just you, between you and the Lord, is thank Jesus for his concern for you, for his compassion toward you, for his selflessness toward you, and coming and giving his life as a sacrifice for your sins.
out this blank. Jesus, you are blank. Jesus, you are trustworthy. Jesus, you are kind. Jesus, you are fill it in. Spend some time praying, praising him for who he is.
Spirit. Help us to live as surrendered worshipers of you. Increase our love for you, our heart for you, that we might be men, women, and children. That live in appreciation. That live in concern for others. That live in contentment. That live in adaptability. That live in dependency. we thank you for your word. Do a deep work in our lives. We love you and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of communion. And um, in a minute, there's going to be something come down and there's going to be bread and juice and we'll take a section and dip it in the other. The bread represents Christ's body broken for us on the cross. His blood represents, the, the juice represents his blood poured out for our sins. I said it a minute ago, um, but when Jesus, when he, when he, right before he died, they were in an upper room and they took of these elements. And um, I believe Jesus, Jesus told us to do this and then he said, do this in remembrance of me. The reason that I believe he told us to do it in remembrance of him is because we tend to forget him. We tend to forget that his body was broken for our sin, that his flesh was really ripped, that his body really hung, and that the torture that was due us was placed on him because of our rebellion, because of our sin. His blood, his perfect, sinless, stainless blood, it was poured out, sacrificed to cover the penalty that was due us. And so as we take of these elements, we remember as we hold the bread, his body broken. And we remember as we dip the bread that his blood was poured out to cover all. It's a really important word there. His blood was poured out to cover all our sin. And so I'm going to pray. And after I pray, you can come and take. And I just ask if you've never given your life to Christ, that you just withhold from doing it today so that it can have the meaning, the, the deep meaning that is do it when you give your life to Christ and recognize that his body was broken and his blood was poured out for your sin. Let's pray and then you come and take as you're ready. Lord, we, we are so grateful for your kindness. We're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful that your body was broken for our sin and that your blood was poured out to cover all our sin. Lord, help us to take this morning right hearts before you in true joy and appreciation and remembrance of what you've done for us. Jesus, we love you. We remember you this morning. We do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come and take as you're ready.